0: Do people buy on logic or emotion? Emotion, of course, right? Brain studies prove that. So here, I'll give you a few examples of consultative questions that you just like literally never want to ask. These are so outdated. Every salesperson asks them like it triggers more resistance.
1: Welcome to the Sales Masters Podcast. Here we're gonna be interviewing titans of industry, bringing you the hacks, the tips and tricks from the whole of the world on how you can get more effective in your business. We're gonna bring some of the biggest names from across the world to drop their bombs, drop their information, to give you the info you need to thrive in business. We're gonna talk about the struggles, we're gonna talk about the successes and everything in between. Welcome to the Sales Masters Podcast, and today we are joined by just a great guy, uh, Jeremy Miner. Welcome to the show.
0: Well, I'm uh, I'm not that cool, but thanks for the compliment, man.
1: <laughs> so we were just talking earlier on, sales trainer, founder, chairman, author, podcast host, chairman of Seventh Level, which, I mean, you guys are global at the uh, uh, the, uh, the understatement, I would say. We were just talking a okay. moment ago. Um ranked one of the top companies out there for growth last year out of 7 million companies uh, coming in pretty damn high off the back of that. Uh, And you're someone which I've seen appear not just over the space of the last few months, but hearing you on a lot of the big podcasts. And you just come across as that guy that really seems to know exactly what to do, when to do and how to do it. Uh, So thanks for joining us today.
0: Well, yeah, you, you we, know, we know a few things. We we try to we try to train a few good things here and there to to make our clients happy for sure. <laughs>
1: good,
0: good. I, <laughs> I'm excited okay. to be on your show. You know, I I saw you on IG like maybe maybe a year ago or something. The sales angel. I'm like, man, that's really catchy. And and then when I got on here, I'm like, dude, I don't even know your name. Like, I, I just you're the sales angel. Like, what's your first name? You know. So I appreciate knowing your name now.
1: Yeah, I know. Maybe we should put that out there a little bit more. I was reading in this earlier. So my first sales job was door-to-door, doing door-to-door sales.
0: And that's where you started off, right? That's right. Yeah, I got a, you know, I'll try to. I'll give you guys a little bit of my background. Yeah, give us a rundown. I, yeah, I think my background, and I'll, I'll be brief on this. I don't want to bore anybody to death, but I think it relates to what is necessary if you're a sales professional or a coach or an entrepreneur, like, or if you, you, know, you own a business consultant, whatever you do, you're trying to sell more of your products and services. But I'll give you a little bit of my background because I think that might help you in learning how to take your income to a level that most salespeople only dream about. Cause a lot of people, when they look at me, like when they look at my background and, and the success I had as a sales uh, professional, they're like, Oh my gosh, that guy must've been a born out of his mother's womb with all these sales skills. <laughs> and somehow he just had all these advanced questions and tone And he, he knew all the verbal pausing techniques. Like you're just born with that. But like literally nothing could be further from the truth. So I got into sales it was, it's been almost 20 years ago, in 2001, something like that. It seems like a million years ago. But I got into sales, broke, burned out, college kid. You know, I was like 21 years old, somewhere in that range. And I got, just like you, I got my first job uh, selling home security systems door to door. Okay. And, you know, we went to this recruiting meeting, the company hires everybody that's there because it's straight (laughs) commission, you know, so they're just like throwing bodies out on the door, hoping that one out of 10 sticks after a month. And they basically gave us all the script, you know, drove us out in a van out in the middle of a neighborhood a not so safe neighborhood. And basically, you know, kicked us out the door uh, and and said, Hey, go make some, some sales. We'll see you after dark. I mean, (laughs) that was where I started. And I started talking to my prospects about all the the features and, and the benefits of the product and how much it was going to help them. And it was so great. And I was so excited uh, because that's what they told me to be like, be excited about your product and people are going to be excited that you're talking to them. But I noticed like from the very first door that I started getting all of these objections. like <laughs> can, I know like you can't afford it. Uh, We don't need it. Your price is too high. I need to keep looking around. Let me talk to my spouse. Let me think it over. Can you call me back a week, a month, a year later? And I would say after about seven or eight weeks of all of that rejection, you know, barely making any sales. It was, you know, as you know, it's straight commission. It's not like you're on salary. It's not like you're on salary going door to door, like some type of pay, an hourly wage, it's like straight commission. And I remember the day everything changed for me. This was probably about seven or eight weeks in. And I remember Remember one night, you know, you're know, you talking about you know hot, humid uh, America here for the most part in the summers. And I remember like sitting down on a curve that night, probably 10, 1030 at night, waiting for the manager to pick us all up. And I'm out here by myself. I just knocked doors for like 10, 12 hours, walking around. I'm sitting here, my legs completely like gassed, you know, like burned out. You remember how it was like, yeah, man, it's it's giving
1: me flashbacks now talking
0: about it. I know it's like, it's, you have arthritis now. We're so old, but it's like legs. (laughs) I was just like broken down and I was just sweating. I didn't make a sale the entire day. I worked 12 hours, made $0. I think that week I'd maybe made one sale and I'd probably worked 70 hours that week. And I remember, you know, sitting down, I just, I was like, I felt like a failure you know, because how could I was getting to the point where we just weren't making any money. I just barely got married, had a kid, you know, a little kid that just had been born, uh, my oldest daughter now. And I was like, I'm going to have to go home and tell her, like, we, we don't have enough money to pay rent next month. Like, we're going to have to move in with your parents. in yeah. the basement. And I remember at that point, I felt like broken as a man. And I I thought like, you know, maybe sales, maybe sales just wasn't for me, you know, and if anybody's listening here, you might have, you might be at that point right now. And that's where I was, you know, eventually, you know, I, I tell you this and maybe some of you don't know, but eventually, you know, within about five years from that, I was internationally ranked in the top 50 salespeople in any industry in the entire world out of like almost 150 million different salespeople selling anything. I was ranked as a top income in the top 50. I was making almost $3 million a year in straight commissions working for a company. But when I started, I almost quit because I didn't have the right skills. So I wanna make sure everybody understands like, It's not something that you're just born with. It's something that you have to acquire. You have to learn. And I remember like, you know, hey, maybe maybe the sales job isn't for me. Maybe I should just go back like my friends are, get these minimum wage jobs and just try to get a degree and eke out a living and survive. That's what was going on in my mind. And I remember my sales manager pulled up. I got in the van. There's like seven or eight other guys in the back. And he put in the CD, you know, people are listening to CDs, you know, 20 years ago. He put in the CD by Tony Robbins, right? Every, a lot of people know Tony Robbins is, yeah. a personal development guru. And Tony said something like this. He, I, I'm probably butchering, but he said, he said, most people fail for the simple reason they don't learn the right skills that are necessary to succeed. They don't learn the right skills. So he actually goes on to say, everybody's taught skills yeah. at your job, at your work. But the ones who fail are the ones who are not taught the right ones. So it was like this, it was like this magical thing went off in my mind that maybe what the company was training me and what I was learning from what I now call the old sales gurus, maybe they just weren't the right skills. Yep. Maybe they were just outdated because I, and they didn't work fairly well. I never thought that that'd give them an possibility. Now, at the same time, this was going on. I was in college and university and my I was studying behavioral science and human psychology. OK, at the same time. And what I was learning from the gurus, the sales gurus in my companies was here's how you persuade over here. But from all the, the, the human psychology and behavioral like science, like the data, they were saying the best way to persuade was over here, like mm. completely an opposite with each other. So I was like, how do I how do I take what I'm learning from behavioral science and human psychology and bring that into the sales process? Like, how do I how do I work with human behavior? Whereas traditional selling teaches you pretty much techniques that actually work against human behavior, like pushing, pushing, pushing. So I started learning human psychology and how to get my prospects to pull me in where I didn't have to push. And and David, that's really for me when selling became very, very easy and very, very profitable. So that's my my overview of my story of how it all started. And I love it. And it takes me back to
1: those days of when I first started off. And I think there's a part of this um, for anyone who's listening in on this. I genuinely, I say this a lot. I think a lot of people are very spoiled. Not in a horrible way, but I think people are really fortunate to have so many opportunities that they jump around. And if you were in, I remember being, we we used to do it with the door-to-door. And there was, I remember my first day, there was four cars and everyone got loaded in. The guy would give petrol money to the driver. Everyone was commissioned only. They drive off to these areas. Like you say, you get dropped off. Yeah. You get picked up at eight. And in the yeah. UK, it gets dark at four. <laughs> so you're <laughs> walking around, knocking on doors, middle of yeah. winter, the yeah. rain pouring down, and you've got two choices. You stand in a doorway and just yeah. w- wait. You go and sit in a local pub, which is what a lot of people ended up doing when they got a couple of deals, or you went out and made the most of it. And it's really interesting to see, I think now, that people like yourself, people like me, people that are listening in or watching this back, that yeah. have gone through that forced moment It really puts you in an uncomfortable place where it's the do or die mentality.
0: Yeah, it's like, hey, you, you, like something has to change. Like, I have to learn the right skills to be successful, otherwise, like I'm done. And that's, I I was kind of forced into it because I recently got married. I was still in college. I had a new baby. Like, I literally did not have a choice. Like, I couldn't just go and work for eight dollars an hour. Like that, that just there was no choice. Like, I had to learn how to do this.
1: So when you're to I know that you've got the, your unique, any PQ method, right? Can you talk yeah, to us about yeah. that?
0: Yeah. You, you know, the, so there's, so it might be, might be easier if I did this. Um, if, if everybody has a pen, you know, listening to this, now, if you're driving down the road, You're just going to have to memorize, don't, don't, don't put, you know, don't, don't put yourself in danger. So, you know, my, my background, like I said, was in behavioral science and human psychology. And that's really the study of the brain and why human beings make decisions and how and why a person is persuaded to do something or not do something that could be in anything sales, especially, right? So check this out. According to uh, behavioral science, there are actually three forms of communication. And if, like I said, if you're listening and you can write this, write this down because once you understand the differences in persuasion and where you are now in your current sales ability compared to where you could be, it will completely change everything for you. So the first mode of selling we call that era. So ERA, era one type of sales. That's more known as like boiler room selling. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, boiler room, yeah. Like, you know, you watch Wolf on Wall Street, like, and here's the thing. We are the least persuasive. So we're the least persuasive when we tell people things yep. or we attempt to dominate them or posture them or manipulate them and push them into doing something we want them to do. Okay. Like I said, think Wolf, if everybody's seen Wolf on Wall Street, it's a great show. It's funny. I like the entertainment, it, but it's like those guys on Wolf on Wall Street. It's like the boiler room, like, hey, I got a great opportunity for you. And you talk about the features the benefits of what you do and why you're the best and why they should go over, you know, with you compared to somebody else and why they need to buy with you. But it's just like telling your spouse that they need to do something and then you push them and push them to do it. What do they typically do back? They back, just man. push back. It's like human behavior 101. So here are, here are a few forms of the least persuasive way to sell. And it's gonna, it's, it's probably going to go against what most people have been taught out there. Besides what you teach, I think your stuff's great. But we're all taught that you have to have a great presentation, that you have to show them how your great your products and services are. <laughs> well, Here's, yep. here's yep. our corporate headquarters. And we've been triple A rated with the better business sphere. And we've got number one customer service awards. And we've got the best this. And we've got the best that. Which, good Lord, by the way, doesn't every single salesperson Everyone say- Everyone says the same. and that's the problem, right? Yeah, they say they all have the best product or service. So how <laughs> many salespeople, I mean, literally, like everybody listening, how many salespeople do you know that try to sell you a product or service that say, oh, yeah, I'm just, we're the fifth best in the market? No one does. Wait a second from bottom, but give us a chance. (laughs) Everybody says that they're the best. So when we say things like that, just so everybody understands, psychologically, your prospects actually trust you less, especially when you talk bad about your competitors. Because like you said, David... Every salesperson they are used to says the same thing. So according to the data, it's not very persuasive if your presentation is more than 10% of your entire sales process. Most salespeople, it's like half of them talking about it. What about telling your story? Hate to tell you this. Nobody cares about your story. You're selling one-to-one. Whose story do they care about? Their story. Right. What about giving a sales pitch? We've all I hate that word. Like we we have shirts for our clients that say hashtag ditch the pitch. We've all been told you have to give a great pitch, but according to the science. Very low in the persuasion poll. Like if we, you know, over here in America, you you guys probably have it too. But on CNBC, we watched a show called Shark Tank. Yes. right. With all the entrepreneurs. You you guys might have the UK version of it. I'm, I'm not sure. We Time. have
1: Dragon's Den. But yeah, okay. we have we have Shark Tank over here as well. But yeah, we have Dragon's yeah. Den over here. So like far. if
0: you watch, I don't know who the characters are on yours, but like over here, Shark Tank, you have like, you know, uh, cute Mark Cuban and Barbara. Mr. You know, Wonderful. Yeah. You know, Mr. Oh, Wonderful, girl. Damon, John, all those great entrepreneurs and watch when the entrepreneurs come out and pitch them, watch the facial features of the sharks. They're like, you know, it's just like scary, right? What about this? Do you put sales pressure on people or the big one is assuming the sale, according to the data, very low on the persuasive poll. Hence, that's where the term sales is a numbers game comes from because it's triggered by what we're doing that's causing it to be more of a numbers game, especially if you're in a more complex sound environment that requires multiple calls and touches, then that's the first mode of selling, the least persuasive. Now, the second mode of selling, uh, we call that more consultative selling, right? I mean, you obviously know that yeah, you're a sales good. trainer. It's error two type of sales. So we're more persuasive when we attempt to have more of a discussion, okay? Consultative selling came out in the late eighties with a book uh, by uh, an author uh spin selling, right? Spin selling, if you've ever read that book, Neil Rackham, he was a professor, never saw anything, but he's a professor. And they taught that you needed, this was revolutionary in the 80s. You needed to ask logical-based questions to find out the needs of the client. Can you imagine asking questions? That was like not taught before that. But what's a potential downfall uh, when you're only asking logical-based questions? We call those surface level questions. Well, your mm-hmm. prospects only gonna give you surface level go answers through. back right? And do people buy on logic or emotion? Emotion, of course, right? Brain studies prove that. So here, I'll give you a few examples of consultative questions that you just like literally never want to ask. These are so outdated. Every salesperson asks them, like it triggers more resistance. So uh, uh, Amy, what? uh, tell me, what's keeping you awake at night? (laughs) That is like the worst question ever. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I mean, right? Like every salesperson, an asset or, uh, John, can you tell me two problems that, you, that you're having the most or who besides you would be involved in this decision or what are you looking for in a solution? See, these are OK, but they're just very surface level questions. You have to go far deeper in the conversation if you ever want to pull out a prospect's emotion and help them create massive urgency in the sale that they need to buy now, not later. Or, you know, what sort of budget do you have set aside within the first two minutes? Like you can't ask those type of boring surface level questions. Now, that's the second mode. Okay. now, the third mode of communication is called dialogue. That's era three type of sales dialogue. So we're the most persuasive, according to the science, when we allow others to persuade themselves, like I said, that's called dialogue when we ask what we are talking about neuroemotional persuasion questions we call that nepq that's the boring nepq nerdy behavioral science key but the key is this is where we have to learn certain questions and techniques and our tonality especially, that work with human behavior, that get the prospect to actually want to open up to us, to actually want to engage with us, rather than trying to push you and get away from you, or not open up to you and just be surface level for you, okay? So that's a question. How do you get somebody to persuade themselves? Can you just show up and get your, you know, hey, John, I I give you permission to persuade yourself and here's our bank wire details. No, right? You have to learn specific, (laughs) skilled (laughs) questions, when and how to ask them in a step-by-step structure that gets the prospect to, like you talk about, sell themselves, persuade themselves rather than you trying to do it. So those are the three modes. That's NEPQ, if that makes sense. I love it. So
1: when we're talking now, to say someone sat there now. I think there's a fog that happens for a lot of people in sales. I think especially now with solopreneurs, they're wearing all the hats. They think they're a master of all or They've heard one way, which a lot of the time, like you said earlier, has been inherently passed down, like grandma's old tomato sauce recipe. There's like little
0: tweaks to it, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's just been, they learnt that and they learnt that and they've just kept doing the same thing. So what are some of the top mistakes that you see when people are coming in to see you guys now, um, in, in when you're at seventh level? What are the top things that you see that some people now might hear and think, do you know what, that's something I'm doing now, I need to change that?
0: Well, I think one of the biggest, gosh, there's a lot of mistakes, but I think one of the biggest mistakes that come to my mind is that, you know, like you said, solopreneurs and salespeople, even if you're a business owner and you've got 50 salespeople or 200, it doesn't matter. When they're trying to sell is they come across way too enthusiastic about what they sell. And then they try to talk about their solution way too early in the conversation. Yeah, it's it's like the prospect says they have a problem and it's like, pounce, like, them. pounce. It's like, like, oh, we've got the solution. I got so you, I got bad. you. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you got a problem. <laughs> Bam, I'm on it, okay? Now, I when I say that when I'm at events, uh, especially before COVID or even you know virtual events now, when I say that, people are like, what? No, Jeremy, I've always been taught that I'm supposed to be excited about what I sell. And I would agree with you but you have to keep the excitement to yourself. You have to keep an internal, like you have to get rid of what we call commission breath. But we heard that yes. like you, you get rid of the commission breath. Here's one thing we have to under, understand, you know, with, with human beings, the way our brains work. Within the first seven to 12 seconds of any type of sales call or sales interaction you are involved with, with the prospect, your prospect's brain, like literally they cannot help it. We cannot help it as human beings. Are subconsciously picking up on social cues okay they're picking up on your verbal and nonverbal cues from your tonality and your body language if they can see you and what you are saying or asking that triggers their brain to actually react in one of two ways okay now the first way is if you come across in that interaction whether it's in a meeting Whether it's in a home, whether it's on Zoom, whether it's on a phone call, on the doors, doesn't even matter. If you come across aggressive or needy, like you're like nervous and needy and you come across especially attached, that's the keyword, and you don't know the right questions to ask, it actually triggers their brain to go into what we call fight or flight mode. Now, a lot of people talk about fight or flight mode, but a lot of people don't understand what triggers it or what to do if it happens. OK, and that's where, as you know, David, the prospect tries to get rid of you really fast. Yeah. And, and they say, get, things like, get me out of here. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. They yeah, say yeah, things yeah. like, oh, oh, oh hey, hey, this sounds good, but I'm just too busy. Can you call me back later? Or, ah, you know, we don't really need it. Or we already have somebody for that or we don't have the money for that or, or I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm I'm good. Not interested. You know, hey, can you call me back a week, a month, a year later? Right now, if you come across more neutral and when I say neutral, more like non-biased, like you're not sure if you can help yet because you don't know. You, you don't know anything about them yet. If you come across more neutral, more calm and especially here's the keyword detached, detached and, you know, the right questions to ask and how to ask them like the right tonality, it actually triggers a human brain to become curious enough where they feel like they want to engage with you. They want to open up to you. So when you ask questions, they don't just stay surface level. They tell you the truth of what's really going on. So we have to come across, I would say, you know, as you know, David, more detached from the expectations of making the sale and really focus on whether there's even a sale there. Like That's whether the or not- thing as well, right? Some, yeah. There's not all, we need to stop trying to sell everyone. Well, it's like whether or not they have problems that we can actually solve. Now, I, I'm going to tell you when you come across that way, your prospects will start to open up to you because they will start to trust you far more than some pushy, aggressive salesperson that they feel is just trying to stuff their solution down their throat. Now, do I, I, you know, sometimes people take this the wrong way do I mean when you get on a call or in a meeting that you shouldn't make the sale? Well, hell no. Your goal is to make a sale pretty much on every call, unless you literally cannot help them. But you have to keep that to yourself because the moment they feel they're being sold to is the moment they do what? They start to emotion. shut away. Yeah. Down. yeah,
1: 100%. Yeah, and it's interesting you say about it. I talk to people about the whole, I talk to people about surgeons. Like if you're going to go for surgery, the last thing you want from a doctor the day of surgery is he walks in he's like, right. Can't wait to get started on you. Like that's not that would fill me with absolute dread. And you want that person to be a professional, you but want them to be someone you can have complete confidence on the back of. So I'm glad that that you've said about that.
0: Yeah, when we when we train companies, literally, and you know, it depends on the industry, and it depends on if it's a one-call close or a two-call close or more of a multi-complex, you know, close that's three or four months down the road. It depends on if it's B2C or, or B2B. But you know, one of the opening statements is you know, uh, you, you know this first, let's say if you're doing a two call close, I'm just going to throw out something random, you know, let's say you sell info products. I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, the, really this first call, John, is is more for us to find out more about you and, and kind of what you've done in the past. And then I would say, you know, really, really what you're looking for, um, j- just to see if we can actually help. Because there's, you know, there's some people where there's just not much we can do for them. You know what I mean by that? 100%. I'm telling you, when you do that, people are like, Oh, yeah. And it's like like, they want to be sold. It's like they're like, oh, you might not be able to help me. Like, huh? Like and it's like they're trying to help you to help them. 100 percent.
1: And it's interesting you say it. So anyone who's ever been on a call with me or the team about the coaching that we deal with, the first conversation is very much right. The first 10 minutes is all about you. We might be able to help. We might not. We'll know after the 15 minutes. If we can't help you, we'll point you in the directions some other people out there that can actually put you in the right direction so that either way they feel like they're going to get a benefit And they don't feel like they're trying to be trapped into that room.
0: And and you know what that does, David, is it positions you as the expert. It positions you as the trusted authority that they just go to to buy because no other person they've talked to has ever treated in that way. And it's not like you're just like at the end, like, well, do you want it or not? Like there's techniques and questions you asked that get them to persuade themselves. But it's all about, you know, all these sales trainers, you know, talk about, You know, I've got a lot of sales books here behind me and I would say most of them, 95% talk about the ABCs of closing, you know, always be closing, always be closing. And I'm like, you know, that might've been true in the, like the fifties or the sixties, you know, maybe even the eighties, but we're in 2021 folks, 2022 now, you know. Uh, The buyers change, they're far more cautious, they're far more skeptical because of the power of the internet and especially social media. They know they have many choices to choose the exact product or service that you sell. And because of that, they're no longer gonna be manipulated by pushy, high pressure salespeople because they know so many other options. So if you're always trying to close all the time, like every couple of minutes, especially if you're in a B2B, more (laughs) complex sound environment, you are freaking toast. Like you are losing so many sales. Even B2C, you're losing tons of sales that you should be making. We're more interested in teaching our clients the ABDs, A and dog of selling. Now, what does that stand for? Always be disarmed. Always be disarming. See, every part of that conversation, doesn't matter if it's a first call close or a second call close, or maybe a first call, then a demo, then a proposal, then meeting with the board, then meeting with their attorneys. It just doesn't matter. You have to continually disarm. You have to to continually learn the right questions that disarm the prospect, that trigger them to keep wanting to engage and open up to you. And if you don't learn how to disarm people, I guarantee you there's something you're going to say in that conversation that's going to trigger some type of resalesors. Resistance, so it's always about the ABD. Always be disarming, and I think it's great
1: you're saying that because this is what I want to. When we set up the podcast, I want more people to say these things because a lot of the time out there, people are just going off of. they hear what people a lot of the time, and we're all guilty a bit of times. We yeah. hear what we yeah. want to hear. We go, okay, that's what I'm going to do, or. Yeah. That's what I've done already, so now I know it's right. And the more we get this message out there, it's only going to enable people to to get to that next level, which is a whole idea. So I'm glad. glad it's just
0: Yeah, it's just like golf, David. You know, I see so many salespeople and companies are like, oh, we're doing well. You know, but then when you look at their numbers and you look at their closing percentages, especially as owners, as company, you know, as businesses, and you look at like how many sales they're losing, it's like golf. It's like, you know, they hit this one hole really, really well. You know, they birdie it, but then the other 17 holes, they just suck, but they think they're halfway good at golf now. And it's like, look, you can probably improve on all your holes here. You know, like, you know, like one of our, you know, our first B2B client, our first big uh, company that we trained was Google AdWords. We trained um, three of their top divisions. Right. And I have to tell the story how we got that account. Like, barely, we were like two months old as a company. It was just kind of, (laughs) I don't know, still like, something just happened there. I don't know. But uh, when when we train them, you know, they were being trained by a company that is the largest sales training company in the United States. They've been around since 1970. Okay. And they were used to getting like 1% uplifts a year in the divisions, maybe 2%. And they were happy with that. So when we came in, and we, we found out where they're at and we you know they had us like do an audit and like listen to salespeople and what they were doing. And we we kind of asked certain questions that allowed them to see that they were literally like losing millions of dollars a month because of some of the techniques. And uh, we didn't know at that time. So in those three divisions, we didn't know at the time, but there was about 400 salespeople in those divisions. That now, adds up a lot of revenue. <laughs> yeah. Now, we only were training 200 of them. We didn't know this at the time. We didn't know that they were split testing half of their salespeople, so they just, you know, put good, average, and bad for us and good, average, and bad with the company they'd been with for like 10 years or eight years or wherever it was, okay? We didn't know this at the time. So... (laughs) Over the next 90 days, we got those divisions we were training, the 200 summer reps, we were training a 244% increase in sales. They actually did four audits because they didn't believe it was possible. Mm -hmm. From this other company, they had never got more than a 5% increase in sales. And that is a lot of money for those divisions. You're talking millions of dollars even for 5%. We get them a 244% increase. Guess what? The company that's been around since 1970 got the other half negative 11%. They actually went down. They got worse by 11% by their new training. So when I hear people say, oh, sales, is just sales, sales training, is just sales training. Actually, it's not. It's, you know, different methodologies produce different results. So you have to, you know, I'm always like Michael, I like to read Michael Jordan's books, like very inspirational for me. And I, I read one of his books and he, he said, look, you can, you can shoot a thousand junk shots a day. But if your technique is off, if yep. you are taught the wrong way, if it's wrong, you're still not going to be good at basketball. And it's the same thing with salespeople. I I, I see them and I, I just feel bad for them because they're like, I'm not hustling. I'm I'm working 14 hours a day. I'm cold calling 300 leads to make one appointment. And I'm like, you're literally like you're like you're like you might as well crush your skull against the brick wall. And it's not long term manageable as well, because yeah, it just, they, they
1: people know inside. Yeah, right? they put the barriers up. They project yeah. out this element of success instead of being humble to yeah. go. Do you know what? Like you did in yours at the start, and I did in mine. Yeah. This has got to change
0: because you burn out. You, there's no choice. You either come to a point where you burn out, and you're like, well, how do I become a manager or get into a different line <laughs> of work?" Or, or that's true. Or you have 100. Yeah, or you have to learn the right skills. I would suggest learning the right skills from the beginning because selling becomes so much easier at that point. You know.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I, I agree completely. And for anyone who's watching this, if you're sat there now thinking, okay, well, this all sounds great. We're gonna be adding Jeremy's Facebook group, which he's has opened out to people. And I really advise. And one thing I always say with sales training, Ideal sales training, so does Jeremy. This isn't about competition. This is about delivering results. So if you're sat here now watching it and you're thinking you're not sure if me or Jeremy, go off and join his Facebook group. I've been in there. I've seen the people in there. You can see people comment about what they're doing and that will inspire you yeah. to
0: actually see that is a different way that's out there, right? Yeah. And I, and I, and I, you know, cause I, I get asked to just like you do, probably I get asked to be on a lot of different podcasts, with different sales trainers and they're just somewhere. I'm just like, you yeah, know, if I get on there, I'm going to, I'm just the exact opposite from their methodologies, yeah. what they're training. But with yours, I'm like, you know, I'll be on his. Cause I, I believe from what I've seen on, on your stories and stuff like that, that we think very similar with that. And that's hard to find. There's only been a, a few other sales trainers that I've had on my show where I'm just like, you know, because I'm afraid to bring some people on because I'm like, you're going to teach my my the wrong people the wrong thing and I'm going to have to correct it like I'm scared. So, yes. you know, I, I definitely want you to be on my show. But, yeah, if they if they want to learn more information, if they want more resources, if they want to learn the right questions, like from, you know, connecting questions that take the focus off you and puts it on your prospect to situation questions to help them find out the current situation, you to problem awareness. How do you help the prospect Realize what problems they have, and not only that. Why do they actually have the problem? Like, what's the root cause? Most salespeople don't know how to ask those type of questions. And then, most importantly, how is it affecting them? How can you ask those questions where the prospect actually trusts you enough to open up to you and tell you the truth? So, if you want to learn those type of questions, uh just go to the Facebook group. It's um, I always forget it. It's www.salesrevolution.group. I always forget that. So, salesrevolution.group they can join for free. Uh, David, I'd love to have them in there for sure. Uh, you're in there. So um, they join for free that you feel like a two question survey. So we know what industry you're in and what you sell. It just helps us track the data. We have about 13,000 people in that. We started about nine months ago. And uh, right when you join uh, somebody in my group, somebody in my team will tag you a free training on those questions it's like a resource called the NEPQ 101 mini course and it just gives them a breakdown of the questions and they can literally use those questions for what they sell to go out and sell more tomorrow so they're always welcome to do that for sure i love that and and the thing i'd say with this as well it's not a case of when we're in sales and
1: i say this on every podcast i'm pretty sure it's not about do you suck come and do this this is about becoming more effective mike tyson had a trainer Right. LeBron James has a trainer, every single sports star, anyone at the top of their game. The higher you get up, if you're at the start, you need to get the foundations right. That's true. But the higher you get up, Wherever you are now is based on the knowledge that we have now, the skills we have now, the action we can do now, the mindset we have now. And it's not just magically do it more and we're going to get better. And it's yeah. so it's so important for you guys, yeah. ladies, gents to, to get in there um, and make sure you're doing
0: us. Well, I always I always say that uh, low six figure salespeople have huge egos it's like they get up to 8,000 or 10,000 or 12 or 15 or 20,000 a month. And commissions are like, I know everything. I don't need to learn anything else. And then they stay there forever and they actually go backwards or they go to a different industry and they can't figure it out because they don't understand the psychology of human behavior. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've literally taken salespeople that made 20 grand a month in commissions and within six months they were making 50 grand a month in commissions. We've had salespeople that were already making 25, 30 grand a month in commissions that now make 100 grand a month in an ind- in industries where people have never made even half of that. And it's all about using the right skills that work with human behavior. So whether you're making two grand a month right now, or one grand or three or five or eight or 12 or 20, like you said, your knowledge has gotten you there. So how are you going to double that by using the same knowledge? You know, yeah, I always yeah. say that our biggest expense of life is lack of knowledge. That's it. That's your biggest expense. It's a lack of knowledge of not learning the right skill sets, the right techniques, the right questions to get you up to, you know, 250, 300, 350,000 a year in income, really in any sales professional or higher, if you're already there, how do you get to five or 600? Your lack of knowledge is, tr- is causing you not to be able to attain those goals that other people are doing out there. And once you gain the right knowledge, once you acquire it, nothing stops you from doing whatever you want to in your life. I love really. It. I really like it. Let me
1: ask you this. So covid You must be going out there now and you're seeing changes in the world. We're all seeing changes. Salespeople, I think some people have gone from face to face and now they're doing things on Zoom and there's a lot of moving parts. I still believe... But if you're in sales and you've got the right skills, you've got the right acumen, you've got the right attitude, you're very fortunate because you could leave wherever you are now and move industries which aren't COVID dependent. What are some of the big changes you've seen with what's going on and some tips or
0: points you might have to pick? Well, I, I think it's actually caused companies to, to to look at their logistics of how their salespeople are selling and think much differently. OK, I'll give you a few different examples of a, a couple of our um clients that, you know, just a couple of random clients. I actually wrote down some notes on this because I figured usually when I get on podcasts, everybody asks me about changes in COVID. So I'm like, all right, I got to have something written down. So, you know, we bought, we brought on a company in Canada about two months before COVID. So that, you know, this is two years ago, realistically, it's called 401 Auto. They are the largest used car dealerships in all of Canada. They have like 45, 50 dealerships out there. Okay. So people have to come into the retail store to buy the car. Well, Canada was pretty strict on COVID. I don't know about the UK, but they were like locked down for like nine, 10, 12 months straight. Then they opened up for a couple months then they locked down for three months. And you literally like, you could not go into a car dealership. Like you legally could not have customers in your retail practice. You couldn't have people come in the building that work there. So what do you do as a car dealership? I mean, I mean, over half of the car dealerships up there, like just went out of business. Like you, they didn't know what to do. And I remember they freaked out for about the first two or three weeks. And I'm like, well, why don't we just have you start cold calling and, and calling different leads um, from your salespeople's home. And then when they sell the car, they just come meet them outside with the car. And they're like, oh my gosh, like, we never thought about that, right? <laughs> we started doing that. And during the lockdowns, they more than doubled sales. And now they're like, you know what? We made so much more money having our salespeople, you know, actually call leads than them just sitting around waiting for- Yeah, the waiting for business. someone to walk on the phone call. Yeah. So now they just get leads and they cold call. And now they're like tripled their numbers that they were before. They're now buying up all these other smaller dealerships that were going bankrupt because they couldn't pivot. They couldn't make the change. And all that was changed was the logistics. Now we taught them the right skills on how to call those leads and and how to cold call and how to call previous customers, but that completely transformed them. Now they have a few people in retail, but most, they have this huge auditorium now, like literally huge auditorium. And they have like, 80 or 90 salespeople in there just calling all day. Like literally it's like a, it's like a boiler room now, but they have the right skills, but you know, it's completely shifted their ballgame. And other companies, I think that uh, really switched are insurance companies, because when you sold like, you know, B2C, like life insurance, health insurance, that type of stuff, you'd always go to the house, sit down, have a coffee, sit down, try to close them. But obviously you couldn't do that with COVID. And I'm like, I never understood why they did that. I'm like, because they're calling leads, like they get these mail cards, they call leads, they set up the appointments to go to home. I'm like, how how long is the average drive time to get Yeah, well, I was going to gonna say driving to get there, coming back, the actual sit Literally, down. Average drive time is 25 to 35 minutes, depending on traffic. What if the prospect's not home? Then they have to knock a few doors and they have to drive over here to the other part of city for 30 minutes, right? So their average drive time was 34 minutes. They were seeing like maybe four or five people a day. And I'm like, let's have those same mail-in leads book appointments on Zoom because everybody knows what Zoom is now, like even yep. your grandma, who's 95, goes to church on Zoom now, you know, or she might be back. Everyone was in forced building. to take action, right? Everybody. I mean, there's hundreds of millions of people who know who Zoom, what Zoom is now. And so then they started booking appointments on Zoom. And they went from seeing like four or five people a day to seeing like 12 to 15 a day. And just by default, they were making more sales because they were able to book way more appointments. And the salesperson was right there on video. They were right there on video as well. It was almost the same as going into the home and their sales just crushed it. I mean, they grew by two, 300% during COVID and their salespeople were happier, right? They could work out of an office. They could work at home. They weren't driving all over, spending money on gas and it didn't have any impact on their sales. They actually grew by that much. So I think logistically, it's like you know, if you're selling, let's say, cybersecurity software, and the bank is like, hey, can you fly out to Atlanta from San Francisco and give us a demo? You don't necessarily have to do that anymore. You just do it on Zoom. And everyone's more
1: used to it now. As a buyer, you're more adaptable. People have took the time to get their homes done in a way where they can actually work in a more effective way, and people are a bit more accustomed. And more considerate to changes that have happened because we've had to be forced into it. And
0: I think it's crazy that people haven't took more advantage of it. Right. Yeah. And you're going to see that you're, you're just going to see that, you know, like uh, you you know, even for sales training, you know, a a lot of companies would have you fly in and do like Mm. a two day event Now I can do the same two day event right from this office space that I have and just get the same result. Now, we still do classroom training and stuff like that, too, but it's allowed us to be able to leverage more of our sales trainers out where they're not on a plane every other day. They can do a lot of it just from their office space. Yeah.
1: Well, and I agree. I mean, with with anyone who deals with the clients that I have here, currently we don't do any face to face. Like yeah. everything I do, the clients I've got in all the different countries, it's all done on Zoom. It's all done. We, we interact a lot of the time every day through things like WhatsApp messages and we talk and use the technology. We are very lucky to have all of this technology. But I think we're also, like we said earlier, spoiled. But yeah. we've got so much tech, but we yeah. haven't been prepared to change. And I think if anyone's watching yeah. this and you've got a sales team and you think, I'm, my sales team wouldn't do this. We have yeah. to realize in a lot of companies, the people, salespeople were left to run the roost for a long time and resist a lot of change. But yeah. it really comes down. You've got to come from the top. Right. You've got to really lead those people to and really get them to see that the changes are going to be such a good thing for them
0: as well as for company. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, really, if you think if you think about selling, uh, selling is about one thing only, right? And that's that's even if it's an employee, like a salesperson, a, a sales manager, you know, sometimes people resistant to change. But sales is about, you know, when, when somebody asked me like, hey, Jeremy, if you could describe sales in one word. I remember somebody asked me that a couple of years ago. They're like, if you could describe sales in one word, what would it be? And it took me like 30, 40 seconds to come up with it. And I'm like, really, selling is one word. It's It's about change. Like selling persuasion is about change, right? I mean, if you think about it, it's about about how good you are at helping your prospects or your salespeople, whoever they are, view that by changing their situation, you know, paying for your product or service is far less riskier for them than them doing nothing at all. Staying in the status quo, their problems stay the same and nothing ever changes. Like, which is more risky? Okay, so whether a prospect wants something better or they're trying to move away from pain, right, from what's going on, it's about change. Now, everybody listening, here is your problem. Human beings do not like change, even though they say they do. Right. Because it makes us feel uncomfortable, maybe unsettled. Uh, Because we're not familiar with it, even if we don't like what we have very much at all, because, you know, that's new and unknown to us. You know, think the the battered wife or spouse syndrome. They just keep getting battered, but they keep coming back because they're used to it and they don't know what's out there. Right. Mm. So we have to realize that we're not selling the thing. This is what I always say to clients. You're not selling the thing. You're selling the results of what that thing does. Like if you're a realtor, you're not selling them a home. You're selling them the results of what that home does for them. Maybe it's a better status feeling because you're in a bigger neighborhood. Maybe it's like they have five bedrooms for their kids now instead of a small apartment. That's what you're selling. Like you're not selling the insurance policy. You're selling the results of what that policy is going to do when one of the spouse dies and they're financially protected. Like you're not selling the cybersecurity software. You're selling the results of what that does for the bank's customers to be protected from fraud. That's what you're selling. So we have to understand you're not selling the same. You're not selling the same. You're selling the results of what that thing does.
1: Mm. And I also think with a lot of this out there, if you've got it, if you're a business owner now and you fear talking about change within your sales teams, You have to realize that's the very same thing you expect your teams to go out and deal with every day is objections, change, hurdles, problems. And actually, if this makes you nervous about talking to your sales team or your sales teams resist, I would also question on how effective they're being right now and what they're doing for you. Because if they resist objections from you and change from you, the likelihood is they're probably not navigating the sales process in the right way anyway, right?
0: Yeah, it's true. And let's say, let's, you know, let's just go back to what we were talking about, like one of the insurance companies that we train, like their salespeople resistance to that change, even though they didn't have a choice, right? They were selling insurance. They're used to calling, making the appointment, going, driving out to their house. They liked that. Them. They enjoyed the they, drive. Like, they felt comfortable <laughs> with that. Yes. So we just got the management team to simply ask them, well, how are you guys going to make more commissions this year? if we're not even allowed to go out to these homes, if we don't make the change, it's like the how to question, like, how are you guys going to make more commissions if we just do exactly what we've always done? And that gets them to think like, Oh yeah, how, how can I? So it makes the people, I I call that the how to question. It makes people become more open to your way of thinking.
1: I love it. I love it. Um, I really appreciate you today. Thank you for coming on. It's been fantastic. We're also going to add on to, the group here. We're going to add the Facebook group in. Um, any other products, services, anything else? You have everything just go straight for your Facebook group, don't you?
0: Yeah, yeah. And like I said, if they want to learn more about what we do, we have a lot of free resources uh, in our Facebook group. Like I said, it's www.salesrevolution.group, right when you join. Uh, We let you join for free. Obviously, it's a Facebook group. Somebody on my team will tag you. We'll tag you. So check your messenger right when you join. Okay. Mm. Some people forget to check their messenger. So right when you do that, uh, somebody on my team will message you a free training. It's called the NEPQ 101 mini course. Or you can ask them like, hey, man, I really suck at objections. (laughs) And we send you a little 45-minute training video for me on how to prevent objections from even happening in the prospect's mind. We call that objection prevention. Like, how do you prevent objections from happening? It's like very ninja-style, Jedi-style stuff.
1: I love it. So, right when they
0: join, just have them join. And we go live in that group. You know, you're in it. We go live in there three or four times a week with different Q&As. Different trainings. Today, I'm doing a, a, a whole, you know, 30-minute training on how to craft their proposals and presentations the right way where they emotionally connect the dots. Okay, we haven't, I have did that training about a year ago. People loved it. So, we do a lot of that stuff. We interview other people, other clients in there, break down their sales process. We just have a bunch of fun in there, man.
1: I love it. I love it.
0: Thank you so much for
1: doing that. Uh, This has been a Sales Masters podcast. Join us on the next episode where we'll have more amazing guests, just like the amazing Jeremy Miner. Thanks, Jeremy. All
0: right, Mr. Sales Angel, thanks for having me on. And uh, everybody stay safe out there, learn the right skills, and you're going to go far in the sales profession. You can pretty much do anything you want, write your own ticket in the world.
1: Go anywhere you want. You sure can. You sure can. Thanks, buddy. Okay. They'll wrap up. They'll edit that out. They okay. fade it out. They add the outro music and make
0: it look all pretty, which is always nice. But thank you yeah. for that. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. That was awesome. Um, I tell you what, let's have you. Are you open to being on our? Yeah. Podcast? Do you know what the thing is? I'm literally
1: from tomorrow. I'm actually going to start going off. We're we'll waiting till the new year, so I'm all over jumping out on podcasts as well. So that'd be great. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're going to do it. Uh, we're having a, one of the office uh, in over here being built out into a podcast room right now. So let's schedule sometime in February if you're cool yeah. with that. That should be done by then. Um, I'll have my assistant email your people and we'll just have <laughs> people time. talk to my people. That's we right. Sound so we sound so great. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you're probably cooler than me, but I know mean, I'm definitely cool not. <laughs> right. So let's uh, let's let, let's let the, them get all that podcast done. We're, we're just waiting. It's like supply chain issues. You know, we bought this desk and it's like, oh, that's going to be a three month wait. We're like, what? It's crazy you know, like, how we, we get so used to instant access to everything. Yeah, it's. I mean, you know, before all this stuff happened, you could go down into like an office supply chain and And grab it up the same day or like they deliver it two days later. Now it's like two to three months later. My friend's having a house um, built and they suddenly
1: just went, oh, we've run out of the bricks. And he's like, what do you mean? And he went, we just can't get the bricks. It's going to be two months. He's He's like, two months for bricks. And you suddenly just go, how is this possible? But it's the supply chain. It's all of the stuff that goes on. So he's got this beautiful half built house. (laughs) with just a giant wall and it's literally one wall that's left. It's and hunt. you just think, how can that happen? But it's the way it goes. If that's the worst problem we've got in life, <laughs> yeah. life's pretty damn good. Jeremy, thank you again, buddy. And, All right, uh, brother. Let's speak soon. All right, we'll see, see you soon, man. Take care. Be safe. Take care. All the best. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. Remember, like, follow, subscribe, rate and review and join me again on the next edition of the Sales Masters Podcast.